0: At these verses this morning, and Jaden's going to read this for us. Ephesians three, fourteen to twenty one. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Thank you, Jaden. Well, like some of you, I have had a three-week cough, so I'm praying that I will not cough my way through this sermon. Uh, we know there's lots of uh, lots of things going around. We have been talking about being a radical community. We are the people of God. We are the followers of Jesus in this world, and so it's not surprising that God would call us to be a radical community in this world. We're not supposed to look like other communities in the world. We are supposed to take on the very character and mission of God, and we are meant to live together in this community as believers. So we've been learning all kinds of things that should be radical about us. And perhaps the one today should be one of the most obvious as we consider uh, the need for us to have this radical strength and why wouldn't we assume that we would have this radical strength because we believe not only that we are the people of God but we're the people in whom God has come to dwell. He dwells within us as a community. He dwells within us as individual believers and we're talking here about the God of creation. The God who created all things with a word. The God who made our universe, our galaxy. We can't even find the edge of our universe A God who is so big and so strong, and yet he tells us that he's come to reside within our very lives. Why wouldn't we expect to be people of radical strength? And yet, if you're like me, uh, sometimes I look at my life and wonder, where is God's power? Where is God's strength in my life when I so often feel so weak, so frail, so disobedient, so unwilling to participate in the things that God calls me to do. Maybe you're like me, and I hope today we can be encouraged to realize that there is this radical strength available to each one of us. Let's just quickly go back to the Old Testament, and I want to show you some ways in which the Old Testament, speaking of God's people of Israel, had this expectation that God, that, that as, as the people of God, they would be strong. So one example, Psalm 28, verse 8. The Lord is the strength of his people. And then that should say Zechariah twelve five, uh, where the prophet says, the people of Jerusalem are strong because the Lord Almighty is their God. Now, we should be able to say that the people of the church, the followers of Jesus are strong because the Lord Almighty is their God. Now, I don't know if Glenn realized, but he read from Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, And I actually wanted to uh, have a look at those verses as well. Before we dive into chapter 3 of Ephesians, these two passages are mirrors, actually. Chapter 1, we have a a description of what Paul was praying for the Ephesian believers. And then in chapter 3, we have another description of what Paul was praying for the Ephesian believers. And in both cases, he's praying that they might comprehend and experience the great power of God. So notice these verses again. Uh, Paul saying in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. I want you to notice the words uh, that he used when he wrote these, these words from the Greek language. This is just verse 19. This one verse, these are all of, this is the, uh, these are the words that Paul chose to try and get this message of cross, that the power of God is available to his people. Do you recognize any of these These are Greek words? But you can kind of tell some of the English words that we get from these words, hyper, and mega, and This is the word where we get the word dynamite from. It means power. And then we see a word that looks like energy. And we have two more words that mean mighty and strength. It's amazing the emphasis that Paul is bringing to this. And yet, perhaps the most important thing we find in these verses is these two little words I've underlined. Think about what Paul is saying. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us. It's not really good English, but you could say, "This power is usward." I mean, God, in all of His power and strength, is standing by, ready to unleash. Uh, one time, uh, Jeff and I were playing uh, what's it called? Pickleball, not pickleball. Spike ball. We were playing against uh, Katie and Bryce. And uh, at one point in the game I forget what was happening in the game, but, but Jeff said, we're, "We're about to unleash. And if I recall, and I'm so glad that this came to mind, because we won. We won the game, and we did unleash, and then I had a heart attack (laughs) shortly after. God stands ready to unleash the full measure of his power into and through his people. So we all come this morning and say, well, yeah, I saw that all week. God unleashing his incomparably great power in my life and through my life. Do we want to take a show of hands and say, yeah, yeah, all week? What do these words mean? I want us to see as we unpack now chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, some of the things that we need to learn about this radical strength that God has promised to his people. And if, if you're like me and you say, well, where is this power? Why don't I see this more in my life? Perhaps today we can learn some ways in which this can be, become more a reality for us as God's people. So again, let's look back to chapter 3 now. Looking at those verses, I hope you have your Bible or your device open. 14 to 21. What can we learn about this radical strength that God has offered to his people? Notice first of all, In verse 15, he says, he's telling us first that he's praying for the Ephesians. Here it is again. I kneel before the Father. But notice verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. What he's doing here is he's hearkening us back to creation. He's reminding us that this God of power is the God of creation. In fact, it's often creation in which we begin to think most clearly about the power of God, that he could simply speak things into existence. The Bible says that the stars are the work of his fingers. We have a great and powerful God, and creation reminds us about that, but here Paul's reminding us that every family, every, you could say, every human being has his or her origins in God. It reminds me, actually, of what what we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 6, about the first human being, Adam, who God created, says, formed from the dust of the ground, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, I think we're wrong if we think that what's being described here is simply the initial thing, that God initially breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, and it was like he kind of wound the clock and then he let him go. I think it's more, it's, it's more true for us to understand that this breath of life with which God breathed into Adam, made him alive, was the same breath which, which, in which Adam remained alive. I really believe that God intended for human beings to, to literally be fueled and empowered, not just in the, the moment in which they're born or created, But their entire existence, their whole life, was meant to be fueled by the breath, which of course is the same word as the spirit, that God meant for his spirit always to be the fuel, the the power, the energy that would animate a human being and make them to be human. And how we have lost this. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, what they were essentially saying is, God, we don't need you. I don't want you to be the source of my life. I don't want you to be the goal of my life. I don't want you to be the rule of my life. Your blessings aren't enough for me. I want to go my own way. So, of course, Adam and Eve remained physically alive. But this presence, this power, this energy of God that he intended to be the actual fuel of human life was lost. Their connection with God was broken. But here Paul is reminding us, he's taking us back as he's about to describe to us this power of God that he intends to be fueling our inner person is actually the way it was meant to be in the beginning. And that is why all of us are here, because God created us initially. And in salvation, he brings us back to this place where we can have God energizing us and empowering us from within. So that's the first place Paul takes us back to creation. Then I want you to notice how he is referencing here the triune God. Look with me in the first few verses that we've read now and see if you can find the three persons of the Trinity. Verse 14, he describes how he's kneeling, praying to the Father. Verse 16, I pray that out of his, the Father's, glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It is never a coincidence when Paul writes and when you find Father, Son, and Holy Spirit packed together in a a few short sentences, that is never a coincidence. And Paul is reminding us here that God is a triune God. And as he's about to describe God's intention to live within us, to to be the power and strength of our lives, he first wants to remind us that God has this same kind of connection within himself, that God exists as a relationship of three. And what's amazing is that in salvation, somehow God is drawing us into this relationship, He no longer wants us to be on the outside looking in. He doesn't want that flaming sword to be between us and the human beings that he created. In fact, in a very real sense, he wants us to come into the family of himself. Let me show you some examples from Scripture where we see that this is true. Here's Jesus praying in John 17, and he prays to his Father. And he says, Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Have you ever thought about how amazing this is, that to be a Christian is to be invited in to the relationship of the Trinity? Come and be part of us. Come and join us. So we think about being part of the family of God. Yeah, that means that we we get invited into this eternal cosmic dance of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 2 Peter. Peter also writes about this. And he writes these amazing words. He's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Have you ever read that verse? Have you ever considered the wonder of that verse? The source of this radical strength is that God invites us into such a close-knit relationship with himself that his life is reunited with ours that the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit becomes our relationship. We get invited in and to know God on that level of intimacy. Now we go on. Verse 18, Paul saying, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all God's holy people <clears throat> to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now look at this. That you may be filled to the measure of all, the fullness of God. I wonder if sometimes we think of our Christian faith as kind of, it's kind of like a religion. And I find the church that I like, and I find the denomination. It's, it's like the religion of choice for me. And we go through these religious exercises and practices, and we come to church on Sunday morning, and we worship But we need to understand that God's intention in salvation, in redemption, is to so so reunite us with our creator that we, the scripture says, and Paul's describing this to us here, that we are meant to contain, somehow, in a human life, the fullness of God. Are you blown away by that? It It is an amazing grace of God. This is His amazing love and kindness to us. You realize that God gives us His greatest treasure. You might have seen in verse 16, it's out of His glorious riches. God opens up His bank account and He says, I want to give people my greatest treasure. And do you know what it is? It's Himself. The God, through salvation and through redemption, says, I want to give you my greatest gift. I want to give you the greatest thing that I have. The most glorious, the most beautiful. And what is it? It's himself. Not in part. Not just a little taste. But God in his fullness wants to come and reside within our very soul. No wonder this immense power of God is available to us. Next, I want you to notice this power that Paul is praying for. Notice <clears throat> how it's meant to be how it's meant to be found in our lives. Verse 16, I pray that out of His glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit. Where? In your inner being. Then verse 17. So that Christ may dwell, where? In your hearts. Verse 19. To know this love that passes knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Speaking of you, your inner life filled with the fullness of God. And then verse 20. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. <clears throat> I think part of our struggle, perhaps one of the reasons why we don't experience the power of God in our lives, is that we assume that if God is going to unleash his power, we, we have some ideas of how he ought to do that in our lives. I mean, there's this thing that I've been wanting. And of course, some people actually preach that kind of a gospel, a prosperity kind of a gospel, that if you trust God... Give you wealth and prosperity. Some of us want God's strength and power to be exhibited in that way in our lives that God gives me what I want. It's the vending machine that Jeff talked about last week. Or we want God's power to be unleashed in our circumstances. Those painful things that we're dealing with that we wish we didn't have to deal with, we want God's power to be unleashed there. Change my circumstances, God. Or maybe we wish we could go back to the early days of the church, back to the book of Acts where we just saw God's power being unleashed in all kinds of ways and Peter and John go up to the, the temple and there's a lame guy and they just they just pronounce his healing and he gets up and walks and jumps and, and we want to see God's power unleashed in those external kinds of ways and of course God can and does at times unleash his power in those ways and yet here Paul is describing as he's describing this tremendous power of God that's available to his people, he's describing it as an inner power. Not as as an external power that's going to change the outward things in my life, but as an inner strength. Now, it is not wrong for us as a church, and we've done it this morning already, to pray for those who are experiencing externally suffering in this world, whether it's sickness loss of a loved one, we pray for those things and we ought to. But have you ever wondered why we don't pray more for this kind of strength, for for this manifestation of God at work in us where he's strengthening us in our inner being, a strength that produces transformation, a strength that enables us to overcome the sin that plagues us. A strength that causes us to be transformed from that selfish person we've always been to that humble and kind person that Jesus is. This is what Paul is describing, this inner strength, this transformative strength that doesn't take away the struggles of our life but gives us the strength to face and manage and deal with those struggles from an inner place. So I want us to see that clearly here. This power that Paul is praying for Is not just a power that's going to change all the external things in our lives, although those can be affected, but he's praying initially and firstly for this power to be unleashed in our inner selves, in our soul, in our heart, in our spirit. Now, finally, here's the thing that we need to consider. This is the hard word, and it's this that this strength that we're describing is not inevitable. Well, why would I say it's not inevitable? well, I say it it for this reason, that Paul wouldn't be pouring out his heart in prayer. It's like he's pleading with God that the Ephesian believers would experience this. Why would he do that? Why would he pray and plead and ask God that the Ephesian believers would experience this tremendous strength unless the experience and the reality of that strength wasn't necessarily inevitable in their lives now if I were to take a show of hands this morning and if I were to ask you as I have to look in the mirror and ask myself is this surpassing greatness of God's power being regularly unleashed in my life and in your life is it and the reality is we'd all have to probably I assume we'd we'd all nod our heads and say well no I, I guess that's true it's not inevitable There's probably a number of people here where some of us can look at times in our life, moments in our life where we felt our weakness, where we needed God to come through in some way, and he did. Many of us can give testimony to the reality of this great power of God and the ways that he's enabled us to serve in our weakness or to give out of our weakness. Maybe there's someone here who who feels like, I don't know if I've ever experienced that power of God in my life. So let me give you uh, something that I think might be helpful to us in understanding that this power of God is not inevitable. It's called this. It's the treadmill principle. Doesn't that sound really astute and, and helpful? Now, at the risk, I, don't, I wondered how I could do this this morning. And I don't want to embarrass anyone. So, well, let, let's do this at least. <clears throat> how many of you live in a household where there is a treadmill. Put your hand up nice and high. You have a treadmill in your house. may not be yours, but it's in the house, right? Really? Come on, nice and high. Let's see them. I thought there'd be way more, so this maybe doesn't work as well. (laughs) The obvious question becomes, when's the last time you used it? And how many of us who have a treadmill have a dusty treadmill? Now, in our house, Diane uses it fairly regularly. I should take her advice. It's the treadmill principle. It's this reality that we can possess something that we don't actually participate with. Isn't that what it's like to be a Christian? That God has provided to us tremendous resources for the Christian life, primarily himself, in all of his strength, He's given us the greatest thing he has, the richest thing he has. What is it? It's him. But we don't participate with it. So we possess something that we don't participate with. Or you could say it this way. There's a difference between being indwelt by God and being empowered by God. I'm sure most of us know that. I hope everyone who's here, who's a follower of Jesus, can look at, hopefully many times in your life, but at least a few, I hope, where you recognize that God was empowering you, that God was helping to transform you, that God was giving you strength for some burden or, or, or some challenge in your life. You see, you see, the thing is, the Christian life, we're, we're not meant to be merely indwelt, although we are. I mean, Scripture is so clear about that, that everyone who's a genuine believer has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have all been baptized into the Holy Spirit it is a once for all thing described by the scriptures but it does not mean that we are always or even often empowered by the Holy Spirit it's the treadmill principle or if you're into science I had to kind of go back and google this again but I was thinking about there's a difference between potential energy and kinetic energy I'm trying to sound really smart here so humor me for a minute What is potential energy? Potential energy is is something like this. If I held my Bible up over your head as you sat in your pew, it has potential energy. Why? Because gravity is is ready uh, and willing to pull this Bible down towards your head. So if I dropped it, what starts out as potential energy as I hold it above you becomes kinetic energy when it hurdles itself towards your head and unleashes power when it lands. There's a difference between potential and kinetic energy. Electricity can be potential energy until you actually plug something in. An elastic, and my son does this to me sometimes, he pulls the elastic and he points it right between my eyes. Please don't do that. That's potential energy when you stretch the elastic and it's ready to unleash. But there's a difference between potential energy and kinetic energy, and we all who are followers of Jesus have this tremendous Unfathomable, unfathomable potential energy in our souls, which is God himself. But the question is, does it become kinetic energy? Does it become unleashed? And of course, that's the obvious question that we need to consider as we finish now. How do we experience this radical strength of God in our lives? Paul models for us the first And the obvious thing. Verse 16, he's reminding us about his prayers for the Ephesian believers. He's already described a prayer in chapter 1, very similar, and now he's doing it again. I'm praying for you. If Paul models this kind of prayer that he's praying for other believers, I think one of the lessons we can take from this today is, if we want to experience this surpassing greatness of God's power in our inner person, one of the ways that we need to do that is through prayer. Now you learned last week that we have so often falsely thought of prayer as the vending machine where I put in my prayer and I expect against something else. I have this need that I want God to deal with, so I put in my prayer and I, I just hope that the answer that I want comes out. But scripture would teach us that that's not what prayer is about. In fact, Jesus modeled that prayer is not about I put in my prayer, I get what I want. But prayer is about communing with the God who resides within us. That's one of the things that's happening when we pray is we're drawing near to God. And as we draw near to God, we hear him. We we, we are reminded of his presence in our lives. We're reminded about his greatness in our lives. And so we're communing with him. When we commune with God, what happens is that our will begins to align with his. That's what prayer does. If we're we're praying the way that God teaches us to pray, what's happening is our will bends towards God's will. That's why Jesus could talk about that if we pray in his name or if we pray in God's will, we'll have what we want. Why is that? Because our prayers have become so aligned with God's heart that we're asking for what he already wants for us and for the people around us. So prayer is about communing with God. Prayer is about aligning our hearts with God's heart. But then I think, too, prayer is about seeking God. Scripture has this principle over and over, Old Testament, New Testament, that if we seek the Lord, we will find him. And I think one of the reasons that I don't experience more of God's power in my life is because I'm not seeking that. I'm busy seeking other things. But prayer is one of the cool ways that we get to pour our hearts out to God To express our desire for him, for his strength in our lives, for his transformative work in our lives. Prayer is the thing that unleashes that and, and causes us to seek and causes God to respond. So Paul models this for us in these verses. If we want to experience the radical strength of God, we should pray. So we don't just pray that God would take away my hard circumstances. What we pray is that God would give me strength within my hard circumstances. We're praying that God would empower me to live the way he's called me to live. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that comes from God's resources through my life. Then we see the word faith. Notice here in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here's one of the reasons why we don't experience the surpassing greatness of God's power in our lives is because we don't really believe this is a principle of scripture that Jesus taught as well that if we expect to see God work we have to believe that God can work and will work so many of us could give the right answer does God live within you we would say yes but faith is trusting in this God that he is not just there and not just capable but that he will trust God to do what only he can do in your lives. I want to ask this question as we consider faith. Are you living in your weakness or are you living out of your weakness? And, and this is this goes to this issue of faith. The Bible teaches that God's strength tends to be unleashed out of in our weakness, right? Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, talked about his thorn in the flesh and how God's grace is made perfect in weakness. This is not about us being filled with pride and self-reliance, and I can do this. God's power tends to be unleashed in us when we recognize our own weakness. But many of us don't experience the power of God because we're stuck living in our weakness. We make decisions based on what we think we can do in our own strength, not what God can do in his. So we're meant to live not in our weakness, but out of our weakness. It means this, it means that I know I'm weak. I know I'm not capable of, being, of transforming myself. I can't overcome this sin in my life. I, I can't endure this circumstance that is so painful. I just can't do it. But God can. And you see, faith is when I step out of and away from my weakness towards God and towards that thing that he's calling me to do. And that's when his power is unleashed. I believe that many of us don't experience the power of God in our lives because we're not willing to take that step out of our weakness, trusting that he's going to do it. See, faith is always about stepping out onto the bridge. It's not standing beside the bridge and saying, what a great bridge, I believe it can hold me. Faith is when you step out onto the bridge. Faith is like Peter getting out of the boat. And it's only when we take that step out of our weakness that we see and experience God's power in our lives. One last thing. We experience radical strength through prayer and through faith and then through knowledge. Did you notice it here? Verse 17, middle of verse 17, Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. Now, notice he's going back to that same theme, that, that same issue of power that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, then notice what it says, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does this mean? It means that it's as we comprehend the amazing love of Christ that we experience the reality of being filled with Christ. Grasp his love and and know this love that surpasses knowledge, and then you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So here's what's really weird about this. How can we experience this radical strength of God? Paul says, well, it's as you understand his love for you well, how can I understand God's love for you? Paul says, I'm praying that you'll have God's power to understand his love for you. And if you understand his love for you, you will experience his power. But you'll need his power to understand his love for you. Do you see how this is circular? It's all of God. No one can stand up and say, "I've, I've figured this out, I've mastered this. If you in any way begin to grasp And contemplate and marvel at God's love for you, you are likely to begin to experience the great power of His presence in your life. But you won't be able to grasp and contemplate with any kind of certainty or truth His great love for you unless God empowers you to know and understand His great love for you. Do you see, this is why we celebrate the gospel. And we never stop talking about Jesus. We never stop talking about the good news. Because the more we contemplate the reality of Christ and what he's done for us, the more we are transformed. This is where we find the radical strength of God. So as we close, we're actually going to sing. We're going to sing In Christ Alone, in which we're going to contemplate God's amazing love and the amazing salvation that he's provided for us So that as we contemplate, we can more fully experience the power of his presence in our lives. Let's sing and then I'm going to come and close in a moment. So are you experiencing the surpassing greatness of God's power in your life? We're all in different places. We all have different experiences this morning. But God's power, his unsurpassing power is available to us. Are your circumstances painful, seemingly impossible to endure? God's strength is available to you. Mom and a dad, all these little ones to take care of and sickness and colds, and I feel like I can't do it, God. Yeah, by his strength we can. Is there a character issue in your life, something that God intends to transform, you know needs to be transformed? Do you believe that God's power is ready to be unleashed to change you, to make you more like Jesus? Is there a sin in your life that's plaguing you, that's keeping you and holding you back? God's power is available to give you victory. Lord, we are so grateful that you give us your very best. You give us yourself. You come and reside in those who choose to repent of sin and trust in Christ for salvation. Lord, is there anyone here who's never made that step of faith? Lord, I pray they might do it today. For those of us who've trusted you, forgive us, Lord, for how often we have lived by the treadmill principle. We have not trusted you. We have not believed or expected that your power could be unleashed in our lives, Lord. Forgive us for our lack of faith. Forgive, forgive us, Lord, for being stuck in our weakness, for always saying, no, I can't serve, I can't, I can't do that, I can't give that. And instead, Lord, may we look to you and say, by God's grace, I can, he can, through out of my weakness. Lord, may we be a radical community where the power of God is regularly unleashed in our lives, in our families, in our small groups, in our ministries. May it be evident to all who see us and know us. And may, Lord, it be all for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. God be with you.